Question Block, Secret Lofts, Educational Historical Comedy Podcast. Hi. I'm uh, Alex, or Wires of NYC, and with me is... Aerialist. Aerialist, for those, both those who are watching, and especially those who are just listening, you should describe your outfit for them. What are you dressed as? I am sitting on this podcast looking like a golden treat. Okay, so you have a gold chain, a sort of gold gown on, uh, and a giant gold sun-like headdress. You could n- don't don't simplify this outfit. You could never you could never understand the intricacies. Which of I what's said happening. looked like Louis the Fourteenth, and you got mad because you didn't think Louis the Fourteenth because he's fat, was attractive. <laughs> he was fat but, later uh, in life. But as a young man, uh, as Apollo, the sun god, who then inspired a lot of, I guess, yeah. Baroque and Rococo architecture. Well, he um, was more Rococo. We'll get to that. But so yeah, we're yeah. talking about architecture this week. Uh, I am dressed in a in a just black long sleeve plain shirt with my Jeff Goldblum glasses because I am a postmodern architect. You don't like curves. Super minimal. That's looking <laughs> looking like multiple. an iPhone thirteen no, building. Yeah, no seashells on my buildings. But yeah, architecture is not boring. I thought it was going to be boring, but it's mm-hmm. like really really salacious. And very, very interesting. Yeah. And very funny. Architects are people too. Yeah. And I think a key thing we kept coming across is that uh, so much famous architecture, architecture that people talk about now is like, right, it's art. And it's really just art on an incredibly massive scale over like massive time periods. Cities are the world's largest museum. It's a canvas. The streets are my canvas. Oh, yeah. So the thesis, right? We're supposed to have a thesis. So my thesis is... If you want to be a successful architect, you have to be named Frank. Can't hurt. Yeah. And you 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 should build a cathedral and uh popes will probably screw you over. Okay. That's a history oh, of a lot. Of- and it's all about the dome. Getting dome. Domes are so important. There's a lot of domes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Having a high arch doesn't hurt. True. Well <laughs> fallen arch is no good. Yeah. Nobody cares about preserving those. Um yeah, so we're, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna humanize architecture for you, um, because architects are people too. But no, one of the like among some of the ancient buildings we'll talk about is that like was it? it's this like you know uh, temple to Artemis that took 120 years to build. Could you imagine working on a building that like you're not going to live to see it completed? Yeah, that would suck. I guess you're like, well, I get you know, get to hang out with Artemis when I even Artemis got bored. She was like, oh my god. Okay, so starting off with the prehistoric, this is before history even historied, Mm -hmm. this style of architecture. Yeah, so the the big surviving prehistoric piece of architecture is Stonehenge. That's the one everybody knows about. Um, Even though it was was dwarfed. (laughs) It was dwarfed in uh, Spinal Tap. Have you seen Spinal Tap where they (laughs) made it too small? Yeah. But it's uh it's these absolutely massive stones. They're, the the type of stone is called bluestone. Are they blue? A little bit. Yeah, I mean they're kind of just dark gray, stone colored, but uh there's some license. hints of blue in there. Yeah, some creative license. Um it isn't even because Stonehenge from like 
the translation from like the Saxon language when they like try to like go way back and they're like, why is it still called Stonehenge? And it's because in like old English, it basically translates to like stones from like near Salisbury, like in the lowlands or whatever. Or it means like stones hanging in the air is what they think. Yeah, because it's not a henge. <laughs> and well, they're not really that's stones, what the, That's right? what the word henge meant. And now henge, henge actually went from Stonehenge to be applied to oh. other stuff. It didn't go the other way. They didn't start calling it Stonehenge because they knew what a henge was. It was just named Stonehenge. And they're like, oh, anything with like a sort of ridged earthwork foundation we'll call a henge with like stones. That's a henge. So there's other henges they ah. found. The The disappointing thing about Stonehenge when you like look at the historical dates they think it was built between 3000 BC and 2000 BC it was by a a society that didn't leave any written records but the problem is like well or what makes it less impressive it's like it is these massive stones in the air and you're like I couldn't lift that but you're like okay with like a winch and a block and tackle or they call it uh was I look at is like a shear leg it's called like an A-frame basically with a pulley. You can lift a stone that big if you have a team of like, a set, you know, a couple dozen people. The problem, that, yeah, th- what what makes it less impressive is that so if it was built around 2400 or so between 2000, 3000 BC, the pyramids were being built at the same time. Yeah. So it's like not, not that impressive to build a Stonehenge. Uh, meanwhile, yeah, over in Egypt, they're building pyramids. So it's... Can you tell about the pyramids then? That sounds a lot more interesting. Yeah. Real quick, I'll answer. People people ask what is Stonehenge for. It's a mystery, enduring mystery. It? <laughs> it's oriented on the for sunrise on the summer solstice and sunset on the winter solstice. So they're pretty sure it tied in with astronomy. And some people think it was like a healing place because there are they found a bunch of bodies near there. That like doesn't sound healing. It sounds like they died. So they think people went there to get healed and it didn't work because they didn't have medicine is the theory. Oh, the original anti-vaxxers, they're like... Yeah, but they found... A, I don't know how they figured this out. I guess genetics on, on, on like, the rocks? finding DNA Rock preserved genetics. in the skeletons. No, some of the bodies are from like super far away like their bodies they're from like people who are from the mediterranean and they're like they must have traveled like hundreds of miles or thousands of miles to get to stonehenge and then died here <gasps> so maybe they went for like a healing retreat right maybe it was a uh what do you call it like a it was a killing, retirement a killing ground oh uh, maybe it's a retirement community. like like they came to like invade the town and the people of stonehenge were like oh let's bring you to the circle of the killing rocks where we that's a that is another theory that stonehenge was like a city a of the dead basically yeah yeah the elephant graveyard people went there to die <laughs> the shadow place but we'll never know because they didn't leave written records unlike the egyptians who did Yay! leave written records so the pyramids pyramids are also really old yeah so around this same time period uh the egyptians benefited from as we talked about in our egypt episode having a mostly stable at least through like three very long periods of like several centuries, like a pretty stable society so they could build cool stuff. Um, And so, yeah, we'll talk about just the Great Pyramid of Khufu. That's the wonder of the world. But that pyramid is on the the plain of pyramids near Giza where the Sphinx is also there and a couple other pyramids built by like the preceding and I think the one after Khufu. But Khufu's pyramid is the great one. And then you've probably seen the the pictures online of like modern day Giza actually 
modern day Giza extends right up to the plain of the pyramids. And then they've left the pyramids themselves in like desert. Okay, tell me about the old pyramids. Please. I want to know. Okay. I'll tell you about just the Great Pyramid, how it was Yeah, built. the Great Pyramid. Oh, there it is right there behind, us. behind okay. us. So yeah, they. you might have learned in elementary school, they were like, oh, it was built by slaves. It wasn't. It was built by like skilled workmen because it's an extremely like skilled building. I mean, slaves it's, can be, enslaved people can be skilled. They can. But in this case, it was not enslaved people. It was more or less free, I guess, Egyptians. Um, and as we talked about in our Egypt episode, that was like one third of the year during the flood when you didn't have much to do, you would just go work. Uh, that was like paying your taxes. You'd go work on a pyramid or a tomb or something. That's awesome. So they think that's what it was because they found barracks. And I think when they looked at the skeletons, the workmen, they were like, oh, they weren't like emaciated. They, they had ties. Protein. Yeah. <laughs> these, these guys were okay. Um, and they, they would bury the workmen themselves in like a respectable grave, not like you would do for an enslaved person. So uh yeah it was built over i think it's like 20 30 years it wasn't like an insanely long time to build such a massive pyramid uh they quarried the stones not too far away dragged them over and then people have still been trying to figure out how they got them to stack up so high <laughs> the theory is internal ramps it's 481 feet tall it was the tallest structure on earth uh i think what until the 14 or 1500s uh some cathedral like beat it but yeah, for about 3,000 years was the tallest building on Earth, which is not a bad record. Um, it's 755 feet per side. It's a perfect square. It's, like, extremely accurately laid out. A lot of the stones are, like, they were quarried and fit together, and they did use, like, mortar to press them together, but it's, like, such a fine fit that you can't slip uh, even, like, a knife between them. Uh, it was encased in smooth limestone, so it was a perfect, awesome-looking pyramid, like the casino. But all that's, you know, the limestone all got stolen and repurposed over, you know, the ensuing 3,000 years. Uh, so now it's just a big pile of unfinished stones. And then it has a, you can hear more about this on our Egypt episode. It's got a bunch of interior passageways. But as for, like, the exciting building stuff that happened, it really was just moving that insane amount of, like, 2 million giant freaking stones uh, into a pyramid shape. Oh, yeah. It was, yeah. like, pretty amazing. And they're... You know the or the built the building materials for Stonehenge were like stones, and this was stones and plaster or mortar, right? Yeah, the Egyptians we had had figured out how to use mortar. Oh, I did want to say oh. one other cool Great Pyramid fact. This became one of the the wonders of the world, and like when they made the list in three hundred, four hundred BC or whatever, and there were historians back then, like ancient Roman and Greek historians, who wrote about it, and they were like, "Oh, it's Khufu's pyramid, definitely." That's what I heard. He lived, right, as we said on that Egypt episode, were closer to the Romans than they were to Khufu and the builders of the pyramids. They were super old even then. Uh, they'd already been raided and, like, you know, people had stripped them down, like, millennia ago. But uh, so the scholars in antiquity were like, it's Khufu's pyramid. And then during the Middle Ages, they, like, kind of, they forgot that knowledge. And so there were a lot of scholars who were like, maybe it was some other king's pyramid, like Nimrod, who's, I guess, a famous, like, Israeli, also king in the Levant area, or other, like, famous kings. And so nobody knew. It was actually lost to, like, all knowledge for, a, you know, a thousand years or so. And then the way they figured it out is, like... Khufu came back, and he was like, yo, don't you forget. <laughs> it's even better. They found better. They found graffiti in the tomb. <laughs> so archaeologists in the 1800s were like, you know, 
tunneling their way through the pyramid, getting attacked by mummies and whatnot. And like they found these like extra chambers beyond the the main like sarcophagus chamber. And in one of them, it was like they're like, oh, this wasn't like used for anything. Somehow it got built in here. Who knows? But like, and there was graffiti. There were some tags. Workers had put tags saying like Khufu like all all over that Khufu room forever. in like red paint. <laughs> And That's scary. <laughs> the work gangs also would write their names of the gang like on the stone that they dragged. So like they would tag their stone because they'd be I like, mean, "That's cute." I guess they're like, "It's going inside a pyramid. No one's gonna see." Let's like you know write your name on it. Um, yeah, yeah. So that that like then definitively they were like, oh, it proved is that it was indeed Khufu's pyramid, and the tags matched the same tags at other stuff that was known to have been built by Khufu. That's cool. Yeah, that's awesome. So what happened after the pyramids? Well. The classical, the classical period begins. The yeah. one that, like, we will never be better than. <laughs> that we will always be, that we will always reference to. Mm-hmm. The classical period. What defines the classical period? It's the rise of ancient Greece until the fall of the Roman Empire, basically. And that's become kind of. But the, which I will talk about next. The Roman Empire never really fell. But that's a little spoiler alert for like 10 minutes from now. Oh, kind of, yeah, transmogrified. Yeah, it, it never fell, mm. it just changed. It, it mm. was like a butterfly. Mm. When we talk about classical architecture, it is the Greek buildings that we that we know and love that are still standing, mostly built during the Athenian Golden Age by the, what's it called? The, Del- the League of Delphi or something like that. <laughs> the original frat. <laughs> yeah, that's what it sounds like. But uh, that includes... The Parthenon. Yes. Um, but it includes a lot of like temples. And the Greeks figured out a bunch of uh, very cool stuff about architecture and perspective and the golden ratio and making buildings that's, that were both like naturalistic but very imposing and beautiful. And still people feel today there's like it's not just cultural. There's an intrinsic like beauty to a lot of classical architecture. Right. So the Greeks did use a lot of marble like primarily white marble because it also like held up to the elements pretty well. Um, limestone actually doesn't hold up that well to the elements, which is one reason it didn't survive on the pyramids. The the key components of Greek architecture, right? There's like columns. The Doric, yeah. which is like the basic Betty. It's, it's just, it doesn't have anything cool on it. The Ionic, which has like the little, if you, it like it's on the coffee cup. It's got a little capstone. The, you know the coffee cup, the work. classic coffee cup, like with that's like yeah, the blue one. Work. Yeah, and then the Corinthian, which is like bougie AF, was like so fancy. It's got a bunch of leaves and curlicues. Yeah, nice I'm like, why didn't they just use that one? <laughs> like, well, they they developed over time, and sometimes you want simplicity. So the Parthenon, for example, is regarded as the finest example of Doric architecture because it's like. And any of the columns can be fluted, by the way. I actually was taught this wrong in elementary school. They were like, no, no, only Ionic and Corinthian can be fluted. You can flute any kind of column you want, including Doric, just like the columns on the Parthenon, which is 4.9 is like, I think, is roughly the golden ratio, which is like 2.14 or something like that. No, golden ratio is 1.6. I was going to say some, some quick facts about the Parthenon, right? It's a temple dedicated to Athena. So I didn't know that, by the way. Constructed in, yeah, the statue got swiped a long time ago, but there was a statue of Athena. Now it it just looks like a bank. No offense, Athena. That's because all the banks copied it. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so the construction started in 447 BC of the Delian League. The Delian League was at the peak of their power. It was completed just 10 years later, 438 BC, and decoration continued for another six years. So uh, it was a celebration. They built it in, in sort of like celebration and worship to Athena because the Hellenic people, the Greeks, uh, had beaten the Persians. So if you remember from 300... Oh, yeah. Um, it's kind of that time period. Yeah. And so basically the, the United Greek States, states fended off the Persians, and so they built the Parthenon to celebrate. Um, so so for a time, it once they built it, it was a temple just to Athena. Then it served as the treasury. You know, a thousand years pass, and the Greeks come and go, and Rome comes and then changes. And then uh, in the 6th century AD, it turns into a Christian church. So the Parthenon was a Christian church for hundreds of years. And we're going to see this theme occur Yeah, a lot. Yeah, so then the Ottomans conquered, conquered Greece in the 1400s, turned it into a mosque. Oh, my goodness. Um, and then 200 years later, in 1687... Snip, snap, <laughs> Make up your mind. In 1687, it was... Well, it was great because it was like a church for every religion, right? Yeah. <laughs> Over time, it was, a, it was never a synagogue. But, that was uh, the, that's the Parthenon? As a Parthenon, what? yeah. Okay. In 1687, it was being used as an ammunition dump, uh, oh. and then it exploded, and that like destroyed like most of the building. So it wasn't ruined by time; it was ruined by a bunch of careless Ottomans storing gunpowder in it. And so who was a famous ar- ancient Greek architect? Oh, who built it, or who was one? No, just like who drop some names. I don't actually know who built the Parthenon or who designed the Parthenon. Um, Ignitus. But, oh, okay. Yeah, Ignitus, Vidas, uh, and Calcrates. Okay. They, What's yeah, they deal? worked on several other temples throughout Greece, and they were also sculptors. And then, let's see, Vidas was celebrated for his, also he worked on the Acropolis. Yeah, he did some sculpture work there. So this bugs me because I read about that 4-9 ratio. A bunch, but then the Parthenon itself is eight and seventeen. Ugh. God, God damn it! Whereas if it was four and nine, it would be, you know, four and eighteen. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Or sorry, eight and eighteen. You anyway, it bugs me. I was like, wait, so it's just slightly off. Maybe something got like knocked off or whatever. I don't know. Um, that so that style of construction, by the way, the putting a big triangular top on, you know, piece on top of columns. So the triangle on top is called a frieze. And often has like oh. sculpture or carving embedded in the frieze. And that, that type of construction is called post and lintel. So the post is your column and the lintel is the top piece. That's also the same as uh, Stonehenge, right? Is post and lintel. Yeah. So yeah. Stonehenge is exactly a lintel on top of some posts. But no frieze. They didn't have any frieze. And then, yeah. And then the, fr- the frieze is like getting fancy. And then amazingly, we're still building. Yeah, federal buildings like that today. And an, an ironic thing is... An the, ionic well, thing. An ionic thing is... So the Greeks like and Romans, they had complex like bureaucratic societies. So they had their own banks and federal buildings and different styles of buildings uh, for different functions. And most of what we remember, the stuff that got preserved is uh the religious buildings we like we remember all their temples because those are still standing for the most part whereas a lot of stuff like a granary or a bank like wasn't necessarily still around but so if an ancient greek could time travel they'd be like 
why is your National Archives building, why does it look like a temple? Like, why does your U.S. Capitol building? Ugh, like, we I use, just got, like, we use all these. Uh, we use classical architecture in all of our federal buildings, all of our bureaucratic government buildings, but they're all based on religious buildings that the Greeks built, which is kind of funny. And the, so the Greeks would be like, that's not a feasible way f- to build, you know, an office building. Why would you guys do that? And the reason is because we don't know any better and we're just copying the temples of these people from several thousand yeah. years ago. All right, so that's a quick run through the classics. All right, should we talk about the Byzantine <laughs> in 330? Emperor Constantine basically he like he he like um he took over the capital of Rome and he's like now this is going to be called Byzantium, <laughs> which sounds like a fucking like thing from Superman. <laughs> it's Byzantium. Well, he was yeah. I guess the last Roman emperor, right? Yeah. And he was like, I'm going to become Christian, and now I'm Byzantine. Exactly. And then it now, and now Byzantium is called Constantinople, or what it was called Constantinople, and now it's called Istanbul. And named it, he named it, Con- he named it Constantinople, yes. And then the Turks turned it back to Istanbul, to Istanbul. or the Ottomans, yeah. you know, much later. Yeah. And he was the first person who commissioned the building of the Hagia Sophia and spelled Hagia Sophia Hagia Sophia <laughs> we pronounced yeah. Hagia Sophia uh, th- uh, can I tell you about just really quick Byzantine like why stuff is called Byzantine Byzantine when it's like as like a bad thing yeah Byzantine means what overly complicated generally, yeah right? because because of, as you can see this is like with all the name transferring and stuff like that Constantine like really made he just made stuff really confusing. So whenever people from other lands would like come, come over there to like chill with him, they were like, Oh my God, we have to go through his like Byzantine, the rules. Cause there were so many different rules, like all these different things. And like, he's like, don't call it this. Do you call it that? And they were just like, Oh yeah, it's Byzantine. Like just to go to have a cup of coffee with this guy. Constantinople fell to the Turks in in 1453 basically and like the moors the moors the moors yeah. conquest but yeah. yeah before that um I in mean, four a, right what 300 to 1400 something right he had a good i mean not hit like con like the empire <laughs> well, yes yeah, yeah. constantinople <laughs> he, was, had he a good, lived uh, a super long a time a good 1100 year run yeah and the Hagia Sophia is a a pretty like sick giant tall uh, Christian church. Yes. And then the Moors got a hold of it and they're like, guess what? Just like the Parthenon, this is also a mosque. Yeah. Exactly. So Hagia Sophia is commissioned or it's like built in 326 by Constantine. And then there's Emperor Justinian. Yeah. So he wanted it built like, he wanted to like make it really extra. And he, instead of hiring architects, to build it he was like no I have some I just have some friends who were like my friends before I became famous and they're good mathematicians and I trust them to build it and they built all the like really crazy cool stuff in I think about five years yeah Maya Sophia has a really sick absolutely massive dome and it is pretty insane to think that people built it in what like the you know 400s yeah 
So Isidore of Miletus and Anthemus of Troll, they built it. And they were like mathematicians and physicists instead of architects. They also, yeah, they it, 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 they did build it too quick, though, because it the dome like collapsed during Justinian's reign. <laughs> and he was like, oh, shit. He had to like rebuild it. Um, it also got really screwed up during this like, yeah, they're, they're like uh, Justinian in Justinian times. They were really big into sports. They were really big into chariot racing. And the two chariot racing like teams, they were basically like soccer hooligans. Like they had mafias. This isn't in the Hagia Sophia though. This is in like the Hippodrome. That is in the Hippodrome, but that they there was like this big conflict and they got really mad. Both sides got mad at, at Emperor Justin and, and he like was in the Hagia Sophia and it and he was like hiding in there and it like almost got destroyed. Oh, they they ransacked it. Yeah. He was hiding in there with uh Theodora, his and she was like he was like, Yo, we should escape because these people are gonna kill us. And she was like, I would rather I'd rather die an empress than than flee and then then be free and like be a you know, be on the run. And they stayed, and then, like, Justinian's boy came and basically, like, saved the day. And no one ever questioned him again. Yeah. So he was overall not a very successful emperor. He was. After that, people were like, oh, no. Because his, 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 like, boy leader of his army came and was like, he was like, okay, you're going to have to kill, like, a lot of innocent <laughs> civilians, but, like, you have to do it because, like... Oh, he executed the just all like everyone who was who had, who had trashed his church exactly like mind. everyone who was there he was like either get out or you're being like slaughtered and yeah that a lot of people died but then everyone respected him and he he lived for a pretty long time and he actually survived the plague <laughs> yeah even he, back then there twice. was a plague <laughs> yeah he he had immunity basically he got it he lived so it is a as a quick aside, we can talk uh, about sort of the advancement of building materials is important for all of this stuff because it's not just uh, not just stacking rocks on top of each other, right? So you talked about, for example, the Egyptians even had developed mortar compared to like in Stonehenge, you know, prehistory, pre-written history. They didn't even have mortar. So mortar is good for sticking rocks together, Right, and so the Egyptians figured that out, and they figured out that's a good way to get like limestone and different kinds of rock to stick to other kinds of rock. But the Egyptians too were mostly just kind of stacking stones on top of each other and carving stuff. So historically, the way you build something that lasts a really long time is you go find a place with lots of stones called a quarry, and then you, you know, work. It's really a pain in the ass, but you get the stones out of the quarry, and then you drag them to where you need to like put them. So for Stonehenge, they there was a route that where they're pretty sure where the stones came from, eighteen okay. miles away. They had to drag them. But Byzantine, though. I'm, I'll get there. Okay. Sec. The Egyptians had to drag their stones, you know, across the Giza plateau. By the Byzantine era, this is post Romans. They've at least figured out now concrete, and concrete lets you kind of form your own stone. And the needed. the arch, like they they've really like they're really like perfecting the arch. Yeah. And they've gotten better recipes for mortar too. So once you have good recipes for mortar, you can, instead of stacking giant stones together loosely, 
you can shape regular stones in like a kiln and you can actually use bricks. And oh. the, I mean, kind of the neat thing there is, right, we use bricks today for all sorts of buildings. It's like a very ancient technology that's still super relevant. Yeah, it says that they they would use domes on top of square bases and they would either cinch them, they put like an arch in each corner of the base, or they're the first to use the uh, the pendentive, which it's a it's like a curved vault. It's a curved triangular vault. So you're like you're combining the power of like an arch with the power of the triangle <laughs> to support like the columns, basically. Yeah. So the Hagia Sophia, the layout is roughly a giant square, but it has a circular dome. And it's crazy though that this big ass thing with like a dome and all this crazy stuff was built like. Forever ago, it was built at like 400. It's not like the so minarets, crazy. though. And now, today, it has four minarets around the sides, and they do the call to prayer like yeah. five times a day from the minarets. Um, those are new. The, the Ottomans built those. But still, I mean, the other, it's like so crazy. And they built it in five years. Like, that's come on, step your, step, step your, you know what's up, <laughs> architects of today. <laughs> Yeah, you couldn't even get the permits in five I years mean, today. Yeah, you literally could not. Forget it. Yeah. Okay. So speaking of... Are you going to zoom zoom forward another zoom, several hundred travel. years? Yeah, oh. let's travel. So speaking of... Um, oh my gosh, like many, many years. Yeah. Well, we've seen really the perfection of the, the dome and the arch. Yeah, but what about the buttress? <laughs> Yeah, so the that's the thing is the the fundamental technology of stacking stones up and mortaring them together doesn't change that much in the ensuing, you know, 1500 years, really until you get to like steel. So the major changes from that point onward are just figuring out like more clever ways and shapes to stack your stone in and maybe better ways to like use wood within your building. But the, fly, the flying buttress, that is like something new that we haven't seen. Yes, it's before. an especially clever way to stack your stones. Yeah. To get them to support your structure. So, yeah, what's the deal with the buttress? So the buttress is basically like, if you think of an arch, it's like a little, it's like a little baby arch under the arch that like supports it. And you. It, Okay, so we're talking about uh, spoiler alert. We're talking about Gothic, the got like my favorite period, right? <laughs> yeah, because I'm so I'm so dark. But actually, the Gothic period was like one of the most light and colorful periods of architecture ever in the history of architecture, which a lot of people don't know. This is an example of what the flying buttress did. The outsides of these usually like cathedrals, they actually kind of look plain and like a little bit ugly because there's so many flying buttresses, but that's in order to like support the stained glass. So then when you go inside the, like the entire wall looks like it's just made out of glass. So yeah. that's the beauty of the buttress. The, the thing they figured out is you could put a lot of the structure of the building and what previously had been these very thick, heavy stone walls is you could put it outside. You could support the thing from a bunch of supports external to the building. So then the interior would be like super expansive and open. And, yeah, you could put way more glass into your walls because they didn't have to support as much weight because you had your buttresses. 
Yeah. It is also neat. I mean, this is stuff that we do with steel constantly. You build like, of course, you'll have like spanning beams and structures and everything with steel is like obvious to us. But like they didn't have steel beams. They didn't like the technology yeah. wasn't there. So they built them out of stone, which is pretty crazy. Yeah. Out of like stone and cement. They did effectively what we do with the steel structure in a skyscraper. Yeah. So if you got nice job, Gothic architects. Right. Yes. We love you. Yeah, so you have um, tall spires, high arches, stained glass, like the flying buttresses, right? These are all elements of Gothic architecture and a good... What are some quintessential Gothic architecture-style buildings? So a Chart, Chart. The cathedral. The Chart the Cathedral. Guess where it is? It's in Chart. Yep. <laughs> you got it. So that one, it's, it's interesting because it looks kind of like just plain. It's like a plain, like it's a plain old castle looking Disney kind of building. But inside, if you see pictures of it inside, it really does look like the entire like walls are completely made of stained glass. Yeah. Hogwarts, probably a good example of Gothic architecture as well. It looks yeah. Like a big, big castle. Notre Dame. I mean, just most castles, I think. Yeah. Examples of that that we know of that are Gothic architecture. Yeah, Notre Dame is like quintessential. I think Saint Michel, which I went to, I have a little bowl. I think I still have it. Maybe my mom knows. Uh, I have a little bowl from Saint Michel that when you like finish eating your food in the bowl, it has like it has picture of Saint Michel oh, at the bottom of the bowl. Of the yeah. Cathedral. Yeah. Okay. We, yeah, we went there. Apparently, like, we didn't go to Notre Dame, but, like, apparently Notre Dame is, like, meh. Um, but uh, when we go back to Paris, I want to go to to the Chartres Cathedral Just because... Just you wait till they finish repairing the fire damage that was incurred while they were repairing the cathedral. Oh, oh yeah. They refurbishing it. Yeah, like, caught fire last summer. So, yeah, the Gothic architecture, the the intention behind it, too, with these they didn't just build these churches just to build them, but it was a big, like, part of it or point of it was to, like, and this was also, I guess it was, like, before, but also during, like, the Reformation happening um, in, like, the 1600s is they needed to, like, make God seem awe-inspiring and build a place that would, like, sort of call forth God. And so they made their church and their cathedral absolutely awesome. Uh and so kings also would kind of do this, but primarily the church was like the main, like most powerful governing force in society for, well, throughout like the dark ages and middle ages. So they built all the really cool cathedrals and they had all the money. Uh, and the idea was that to in inspire uh, a real sense of awe in people when you walked into a giant building that was larger than anything else you'd seen in your life and looked at all the stained glass. And I think it worked. Yeah. People, people stuck around. It was built to house like these relics, basically like these fake relics. <laughs> so there, it was like uh, I mean, I'm assuming fake. I, uh, the crown of thorns that Jesus wore, and also the tunic that Mary. Yeah, that's great. You're <laughs> like, surely this crown of thorns has survived for like 1,400 years. Yeah, yeah. and the the tunic that Mary wore when she became impreg, like when she got. She got knocked up, you know. That so the, she didn't get knocked up. It was a virgin birth. By, by God. Oh, by God. Yeah. Oh, God, okay. not you know. When the immaculate conception happened. Yeah. 
She was like, yeah, it was like the the blue dress <laughs> like, from Monica Lewinsky. Like, yeah, she was like, I yeah, better hold on to was, this. <laughs> that's what I was saying. Interesting. They're both blue. Mm-hmm. So these artifacts were purchased for like thousands of gold coins. And then a chest to put them in was purchased for thousands more of gold coins. And and all of the, those gold coins put together were, it, um, yeah, it was like, way more than it cost to actually build the cathedral to like house them in oh wow yeah way more because it was like crowdsourced because once the relics were like in town you know it, we need to build a building around these yeah it was like yeah. all right who who can do this and there are little shout outs to the builders in the stained glass so it's kind of like um you know like an ad placement on a podcast where in you know there's there's little like writing in the like pictures in the stained glass. Yeah, you can get your own little uh, like universities and stuff. They do this. You can get like a little brick when they build the new library. They'll engrave your name on it. But the people, you know, they're like, oh, here, you know, there they're like, here's own benches in Central Park. No, but like this is really cute because they're like, oh, here's a story of like Jesus in the stained glass. He was a carpenter, just like these guys who are carpenters. And there's like, they're like in the actual stained glass. Cool. Yeah. What else did they put in the cathedral? Yeah. So that's pretty. Oh, the one cool thing they ha- they there's like a, a labyrinth in there, w- which you know it's like a little path that you can walk and like meditate on. What's kind of cool. That's those are the those are the the cool things about it. Okay. So everybody was inspired by the Gothic architecture, but meanwhile, I don't know what what we're doing next. What was <laughs> going on in India at the time? Yes. Yeah. The Taj Mahal. Oh, the the Taj Mahal is a. That's apparently how you're supposed to pronounce it. Say it again. The Taj Mahal. All right. It's basically another mausoleum. It's funny because it's not another mausoleum. It's, Most of these have been I mean, so far have been temples and churches. Yeah, the Salisbury Cathedral is great because it was actually like a mini museum. <laughs> I mean, the Taj Mahal is like wh- it's like a bit after this. There's a couple. Yeah. There's a couple other buildings in between. Oh. So I don't know if you want to. Oh, I suppose the Great Pyramid was a mausoleum. But yeah, let's let's do Taj Mahal and then we'll and then we'll go we'll we'll, we'll go back, back to Europe. <laughs> when the, yeah, because Taj Mahal is around no. the time of Gothic. No, it's not at all. <laughs> Gothic is like eleven something, and Taj Mahal is like fifteen. There, the Emperor Shah Jahan. Built it for his, it's it Shahrukh Khan, yeah, Sh- <laughs> Shaka Khan. For, uh, no, his uh, he everywhere, everywhere that like I read about this, it's like he built it for his favorite wife, but he, they never really talk about like his other wives. But I don't know, um, Mumitaz Mahal, and she died in birth, giving birth to their fourteenth child. Yeah, he had it built. <laughs> He's like, okay, fourteen. I'm gonna make he, you a cool. A place to die. Yeah. And it, it means crown of the palace. Yeah. So it's like this beautiful. There's a lot of like lapidary situations happening. And it's like it's it's white marble ivory, but it's actually not. Do you know that the Taj Mahal under the gorgeous exterior is just like plain basic ass red brick? Oh, I'm not surprised. Oh, so it's. Oh, it's, it's it's red brick, and then they just put a all facade. the facade. What is what is it covered with? That looks it's because it's got like it's white with a ton of like paintings and inscriptions on. It. Is it tile? Is that all tile? Is it mosaics? What are they doing on there? 
yeah, it's stone brick marble. It's like mar- white marble. A lot of marble. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm not so. I don't care that much that there's brick underneath. I just thought that was so because when you look, you're like, oh, this is expenny henny, like which it, it it was, but like they were smart about it. They're like, we're you know, we're just gonna make the inside a little bit more chill so they have a yeah. huge dome as well it's actually reminiscent of the it Aya does Sophia, look like huh? the Hagia Sophia although it doesn't have a round dome it has an onion dome it does is what that's called but it's got minarets around the sides as well yeah minarets being those the very tall kind of towers around the corners so they also the the like chief architect is is not confirmed but they think it's Ustad Lahori hmm. yeah and it says approximately 22,000 workers worked on it. And the four minarets, they're, they are slanted slightly because if there were to be an earthquake, they slanted them so that if they did cr- like crumble, they wouldn't crush the dome. Oh. They would fall the other way. So I'm like, that is smart. Also, it is 100% symmetrical except guess, guess what part is not symmetrical? Like you can literally see a like a break in the tile pattern. I have no. Why would I be able to guess that? I don't know. So, it's for the tomb of Shah Jahan. Okay. Like when he died, his sons were responsible for like getting him in there because uh, you know he's not in like their crypts like under the ground under the Taj Taj, Taj Mahal hell right. So when he died, they were like, "Uh oh, we have to get him in here," and I guess they were a little messy. But it's like literally 100% symmetrical, except for like there's a part where you can see the tiles are like a little off centered. His sons did the work themselves, or they just hired they like were second resi- rate, yeah, they second rate yeah. uh, contractors. I guess. I mean, they're all middle children if you think about it. So, uh-huh. oh, can I do a quick aside? Yeah, the word mausoleum because you said the Taj Mahal is a mausoleum. Yeah. The word mausoleum comes from the first building, like most famous building that was built to house a dead guy which is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, which is the mausoleum at Helicarnassus. Oh. Um, and we didn't we didn't get into it so much because it's like, it is a cool building, but we talked about but the Parthenon for classical architecture. But his name, the king mausoleum? buried there is Mausolus. Yeah, so Mausolus was married to his sister. Mm. And uh, so Mausolus started building a decent, you know, burial place for him. It's funny, he's like, I'm King Mausolus, so this will be the mausoleum. <laughs> They're like, okay. Uh, he died. His his sister wife got very uh, upset. And so she was like, we, we have to double it, make it way better. And hired all the best, the five best uh, like sculptors around. And they all went to work. And then she died. And the sculptors are like, should we, we call it a day now? They're dead. And they're like, but we but have his- like the funds. And the sculptor, it became a passion project for these like, you know, world famous at the time sculptors. And so... so- all four sides, the mausoleum is a big square with a huge, like, flat base, but all four sides, each side was done by a different sculptor. And then there's a sculptor who oversaw it who did the interior. So, wow. so mausoleum, the first mausoleum. Mausoleum was the first mausoleum, King Mausolus's tomb. And it also was kind of like five points, right? The graffiti place in Queens. Uh, and that, like, there were different artists and they each did their own tags on the different sides of the building. The Taj Mahal, not totally out of time. Gothic architecture did survive until the, the well, 16th century. So, Yeah, I mean, no, but we forgot about the Renaissance. 
Yeah, around the time the Taj yeah. Mahal's built. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a renaissance happening. Let's, I'm like, let's go back to Europe. The renaissance. You know, 14 to 1600s. We all know the famous sculptors. The uh, Ninja Turtles. Yeah, we know. Michelangelo, Raphael. Some of the cool buildings from around the Renaissance. Like what? Uh, Il Duomo. Il Duomo is in Florence. The St. Mark's Cathedral is in Venice. They all have really insane interior decor. As so many people were named Michelangelo, too, which is... <laughs> you said there were two Michelangelos? There's two. Oh, yeah. It, yeah, uh, Caravaggio's name is also Michelangelo. Oh, Caravaggio's and name is Michelangelo. <laughs> yeah. So instead, yeah, he was Michelangelo from Caravaggio. Yeah. They're like, we already got a Michelangelo, buddy. You're yep. Caravaggio. Yeah. There's uh, there's Mike Michelangelo Bonarotti. Bonarotti. Okay. Bonarotti. Like yeah. The, like the pasta. Yeah. Like my my cousin. Okay. Yeah. So a lot of these cathedrals they were god the popes were such assholes at this time because they were like so there was pope julius and he had a rival with pope sixtus the fourth there's like a lot of pope sixtus sixtuses and they're all like also numbered so it gets very funny but julius was like okay i want the craziest like tomb and he asked michelangelo to build it for him and then he like <laughs> and michelangelo was like super excited and then he was like, forget about it. I'm bored with this. Like, And then he was like, but the the Sistine Chapel, the ceiling, though. Now that, like, it needs some freeze. It now needs a I freeze. Yeah. It. And, like, Michelangelo's like, I've never done, like. Not a freeze. It's a mural. Or, sorry, an alfresco, right? Alfresco? A fresco? Just a regular fresco, not an alfresco. <laughs> it's a mural. It's just a painting on a no, wall. No, but it's called fresco. It's, it's called okay. fresco, which is, like. You have to paint into like plaster that hasn't hardened yet, and that's very difficult to do. And okay. he's like, "I've never done that before. I can I just build your mausoleum?" And uh, yeah, Pope Julius is like, "Nah, the ceiling." Go. He was. He just pulls out a ladder like silently. Yeah. And then there's also um, Bernini, who also he got Bernini got into like some some stuff with with popes as well. Um. And then you know, right? This happened because the the Catholic Church was split, right? Right. Because there's the Eastern and Western, yeah. Ortho what, Eastern Orthodox, and then Western Catholics. So I guess they had two popes at the time. Yeah, in the it was like the preceding popes too. Like, well, because think about it, some of them were like, we want to be conservative, and like the reason the plague keeps coming back is because we're like being too flashy, and the other popes were like, <laughs> bling bling. <laughs> They were like, we need to show we need to show God that like his house is yeah the best house, you know, which I, I am, you know, I'm on board with that. I like that. And also Andrea Palido, who's like a very pious architect as well. He would like he would beat himself and like he was super into like building stuff for the people like he would build these beautiful works of architecture but he was into building them because he he thought they would house the poor and yeah he was a very pious guy and then there's also um oh so a, a notable like saint peter's basilica is like yeah the it's that's the one, the one where like about. everybody worked on this one like michelangelo and Raphael worked on it and then Donato and th there's a bunch of Antonios. So many, so many people worked so on it. So it seems primarily it was yeah the Renaissance architecture. This is all uh, 
Yeah, it's all Italian stuff. But they there were there were influences of like Greek and Roman architecture. Yeah. So when did the rest of Europe get this new exciting these new by the way, what is like the style of all this architecture? Like what is unique about this architecture compared to the Gothic? It has more curves. Yeah, it's well it's more ornate and a lot of it's finished in plaster, it looks like. Yeah. So it's like it all looks very smooth and white, right? Like uh well, Il Duomo is covered with the red roof tiles because it's in Florence, but a lot of the stuff is like, yeah, it's almost like the U.S. Capitol Dome, but fancy is St. Peter's Basilica, but a lot of that like smooth white finishes. So it's either like plaster finishes in- indoors and outdoors, it's like either marble or something that looks like marble. It's a concrete and volcanic, like volcanic matter. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's like white stone, I guess. We... um which is very different from the Gothic style where you see all these, you know, stones mortared together and it looks more like so this, stones. This is like yeah. the basically the inside and the outside is Gorgina, whereas like Gothic, the outside, you're like, ooh. <laughs> ugly. You're like, I'm just going to get in this church yeah. and live in here and never look at the outside. Yeah. The By the way, the Gothic style still lives on. But Gothic was, it wasn't called Gothic at the time. Just It was called like just... Contemporary, <laughs> yeah, and Gothic was like a it was like a slander to that because it was like this is ugly, just like the 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 Visigoths. Yeah, the yeah. Visigoths at the time were. I mean, they were the barbarians they were the who had cons of Europe. Yeah, they had sacked the Roman Empire. So if you called something Gothic, you were like, it's it's wild and like uncontrolled and big and ugly. a heathen and against God. Another example of this Baroque architecture is St. Basil's Cathedral, which is like the Russian the Russian candy cathedral, as I like to call it. So is Renaissance necessarily Baroque or did Renaissance, the Renaissance style evolve into like what we think of as Baroque that's like super ornate? You, I, Renaissance, I mean, some people call the Renaissance style Baroque. Okay. Some people just call it the Renaissance style. Yeah. Yeah. So over the next like couple hundred years, as you go from like the Renaissance to the Enlightenment to like all the very like cool European history that we know have talked about, you get like more and more ornate styles. Um, and in part, I think you're, well, from what I read, it reflects some of the shift from like power of the church to power of like monarchs. So they became sort of the center of the state and the particular with like Louis the 14th, he became like the center of all like power in France, for example, and like not the church. So for the monarchs to assert their like, I don't know how badass they were and show off their bling. Uh, they got more and more ornate styles. Yeah. Do you know that St. Basil's? It was who, who it was commissioned by. Is it Peter the great? It's a, it's someone who's terrible. Oh, is it Ivan the Terrible? Yeah. Okay. He was really terrible, oh, so too. Oh, was much earlier than Peter, I think. Yeah. Um, it, it's like in the... Oh, that's super... Yeah, 1500s. It's right around the same time. The rena- I mean, the, the Michelangelo's like, you know, being a Ninja Turtle same in Italy. doesn't really look like the uh, Italian style, though. It's brightly colored with these like cool twisty onion minarets it is considered they're all like in the same category though of i think just because of like the structure the structure it's just i mean it's colored differently but like if they were in black and white 
they kind of they're kind of both oniony, right? Like just imagine. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I'm Saint just, Basil's look like a circus. I know it's wild, <laughs> like, but it's, it's still considered. Yeah. yeah, it's still considered like. All right, architects. Yeah. Who, Re- who Renaissance refuse to acknowledge the finishing, whatever. I think they're different styles. Okay, so. Yeah, it was it, so Saint Basil's like this poor dude who hung out in in uh, Russia. And it was originally to like celebrate it was the the defeat of the Mongols. But then I guess they named it after Basil because he was like he was a really pious and like nice dude. It was to counter like the pretense in which it was created. <laughs> they were like, Don't punish us. Basil was just like the opposite of Ivan. And Ivan was like a really terrible guy. We should do an episode on him because he's he's it's wild. Right, so the Renaissance led into so I mean, Baroque and um, so Baroque and Rococo. Now we're going through basically the most famous, probably tourist sites in Europe. Yeah, so Baroque has like it. It's very like opulent, but it's a little bit more like serious and melodramatic, and Rococo is like more about little angels and like pastels and seashells. Rococo uses Baroque uses a lot of gold and gold white, and, and white. Rococo yeah. uses a lot of pastels. Exactly. A lot of I yeah, I I think of like what is it? Like the cherubs, like the like the you know what I'm talking about where they're just like kissing. They're like little cherubs that are kissing and stuff like that with like the white clouds, the white like fluffy clouds and the blue. That's that's Rococo. And that Rococo is like more dollhouse. So having pictures of those like <laughs> Raphael the sarcastic ninja turtle. Yeah. Painting these little chubby cherubs kissing. But each they other. are. They're like kissing and they're like, ha ha ha. Yeah. So that's um that's Rococo. And then there were all those in the nineties, like the Y two K like T shirts with that. Think of like a Y two K pastel T shirt with mm-hmm. Raphael's cherubs. That's there's Rococo for you. <laughs> So what are some actual buildings that would maybe illustrate this stuff? Versailles. Versailles is a great example of both, actually, because the outside is more Baroque, Baroque and the inside is Rococo. Okay. So we the architects do distinguish stylistically. So, yeah, the outside of Versailles is very gorgeous, white and gold. Yes. Um, and then the the interior, it's just every single square inch is covered with ornate scrolls and cherubs and shells, shells and leaves. Right, because Rococo means means shell architecture, right? or yeah, Baroque is like twisted pearl, and Rococo is like broken shell. <laughs> is that what they mean? Pretty much. I'm I'm being a little dramatic, but that's pretty much what they mean. I'm trying to think of Rococo. There's a, I feel like there's a bunch of like D- Danish houses and stuff, but it's it's kind of like that dollhouse look. There's one in Manhattan called the Palazzo Tupi that has the. It's supposed to have the look of an Italian palazzo, but the like vibes of a tube tube lollipop. It's in Greenwich Village, and it's like hot pink, and that that would be an example of it. I guess a bunch of churches were Baroque. The Royal mm-hmm. Palace of Madrid. Oh, yeah. I mean, Baroque Saint is like... Paul's Cathedral. No, Baroque is like what we were talking about with the Renaissance, mostly. Oh. If you, wanna, if you want more for Rococo, 
it's really like Palace of Versailles is like the Versailles is the one. And uh, so, yeah, the one, it, you know, Versailles started out as like a little hunting lodge. Did you know that? Yes. And then. We talked about it in our episode where we covered the royals, including Louis XIV. He purposely moved the seat of power from Paris to Versailles to force all of the nobility to also move out there with him uh, and pay rent on it and then invented fashion and did a bunch of other crazy stuff. But yeah, that included making Versailles absolutely awesome uh, and super expensive looking. Yeah, the uh, the only other like Rococo example, it was Weisskrieg in Germany that it has like Chinese influences apparently. Ooh, but it's like a robin's egg blue dollhouse, right? Crazy looking dollhouse. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So then I feel this that that all of that was kind of the pinnacle of our of architecture. And it's been downhill book. from there. And then we get into the throwbacks. Um so like right with the founding of America and a lot of early American architecture, and people point out that right, America is like a democratic republic, has these Athenian and like Roman ideals behind it, and Enlightenment ideals, but also like the founders were broke. They were they could not afford Baroque <laughs> styles. They yeah. were too broke to be buying that. Uh and they did have a lot of brick <laughs> around, uh, and like plaster, and I, but I don't think they had like a ton of marble. So yeah, they embraced this neoclassical style for uh, all of uh, the like early American buildings, and it's kind of continued through like this American tradition of all of our federal buildings look like knockoffs of Greek temples. It's uh, true. Now made out of like concrete instead of marble for the most part, but like marble when we can when we can afford it, we'll use marble. Um, That's you're talking about the neo neoclassic neoclassicism. Yeah. So, yeah. so neo. Uh, yeah, so a great example of neoclassical, like any building in Washington, D.C. So the, the Capitol US is Capitol. a great example because uh, it's got columns and this big dome. Um, and then Monticello is something people point out a lot because Thomas Jefferson, uh, the drafter of the Declaration of Independence, but also uh, an amateur architect, designed his house. So his house is in a sort of neoclassical style. And the University of Virginia has yeah. the rotunda uh which is a library and like i guess sort of meeting place i've been in it it's all right it's a library and it has a bunch of books in it i think it's burned down a couple times um but it's it's just red brick like kind of white white uh like concrete slash plaster finishing and um wood like a lot of like wood columns uh throughout the university of virginia so it's very simple like cheap materials i think is part of the appeal but it still looks impressive. And that's a lot of neoclassical. It's still around today. And not th not to jump too far ahead, but this is firmly in the realm of neoclassical, is that, that in 2017, the Trump administration issued this edict that all new like federal buildings should be built in a neoclassical style. Ooh. Um, and this obviously pissed off a bunch of architects. And a lot of people think he did it just to sort of like poke at the i mean architects like most academics uh or artists are like pretty liberal people so people were like he's just doing it to be a jerk um but there is a, a lively ongoing debate in the architecture community maybe we'll talk more about this at the end 
about should we embrace like neoclassical style and why and there's a lot of people who think that like the more modernist styles are too trendy and then there's lots of people who argue that yeah modern architecture is just ugly which is its own thing but yeah let's Let's keep moving forward into Art Nouveau and modernism. Can we talk about the man who spans like several of these genres? Yeah. And several wives. Who is it? And several murders. The most famous architect of the 20th century. I don't understand why, but his name is Frank Lloyd Wright. Maybe you heard of him. Have you heard of him? Yes. He, he started working for this architecture like firm and they Des- you know, designed the Guggenheim. He did in like he cool never building. he never lived to see it completed though and it was like in the year of his death when he was like 91 years old. Like it's his life was so crazy and then he did yeah. like the best thing like right at the end and then he was like yeah. peace. You live long enough, you design a couple buildings, they'll remember you forever. And you <laughs> Yeah. All it so I think he's actually more interesting than his yeah. like buildings. They'll forget about your gay sex cold. It's fine. <laughs> yes, it's so wild. Yeah, so he like you know, he was like, ah, that he had this style called like the prairie, the prairie style, the prairie house. And it, yeah, he was like, this is great. I can just like make a whole bunch of these like prairie homes, prairie looking homes. He made like 50 of, that's the other thing. There's all these statistics that are like, he made this many buildings in his lifetime. But it's because like in the first couple of years of his career, he like was just making sort of like little dingbat homes like everywhere just that yeah just like you know just like erector set lego homes just well, all over he very famously and this is unique to his style which later came to be embraced by the larger profession uh he would try to take the surroundings of the house into account and people like this seems very obvious but people hadn't really done that so building a you know some of his most famous examples is house built like kind of right into next to a waterfall that has water flowing. You mean past falling water? Yeah, falling water. In, yeah. in Pennsylvania. Exactly. Yeah. Um, no one had built a house like that. I don't yeah, know why. But, but do you know that all of his shit is like leaky AF? Like everyone who lives in his house is like, dude, the fucking oh, leaks I'm not are wild. Yeah. They're functional. I'm buildings. just upset that he's like number one. I'm just like, why? Like, because if people don't know anything about his crazy ass life and we're going to change that. I think construction quality is often poor on a lot of these super famous buildings, right? I told you about like the, all the problems they had with the the Freedom Tower, like the new But World that's Trade like Center, tall. This is like a little thing. He just made a good roof for But he was that's like, "Oh, got to go sleep with another that's woman." That's a construction company. Yeah. So he like he thing to keep in mind is the contract is always awarded to the lowest bidder. Okay, <laughs> so he was married to this lady. Okay. Right. And what was her name? I think Catherine, I think Kitty. Mm. I don't know. Uh, so he was married to this lady who for like his whole life would not divorce him. She was just like, no, like, yeah, they literally like never got divorced. And then he started dating this other woman named like Mama, Mima, I think. Yeah. Mima. Right. And so he was like, I'm his first masterpiece. What he was like, I'm really sick of these like prairie houses that I'm building, these little house on the prairie that I'm building. So he decided to build this thing that sort of look like looks like falling water called the Taliesin residence. And it was basically like his little love shack, but it was like huge and it had servants and stuff. And then he had to go to Chicago to like build something. And one of the servants straight up like murdered 
eight of like eight children and like his his boo his boo thing <laughs> while he was away. So how did that affect the buildings? He was building. Oh well, also he was designing. Well, he came right back to Tal Talesian, right? Talesian. It's so annoying because it looks like it's spelled talisman, but it's not. <laughs> so how did that? Uh, yeah, so he built he more came, buildings. He, he no, or? it affected him because he came back. He's like, I have to rebuild this place, and so he like rebuilt the wing that had been ruined, and he built it like better than before. And then he had a bunch. He had a string of like other crazy ass relationships, and then he finally like found the one, and they opened up an architecture school. So it turned him into a a teacher of architecture. That's that's how it affected his buildings. I don't I think he was just like sick of the boring like style that he had. And so the ranch was it, that's kind of like the style that he went forward with that sort of like Jenga looking thing. Jenga looking low. They're all low. Like none of them are. They're like low and like stacked. Yeah. Guggenheim's kind of tall. But, but like he, not really. He also wasn't. Yeah, he wasn't working just in isolation either. So, like, the the Chicago school was a bunch of architects based in Chicago, as you could guess. And then, you know, in the mid to late 1900s, Chicago, right, it's maybe has fallen in stature somewhat today. But it was the New York City of America <laughs> yeah. back in the 80s and, that's, you know, 50s that's and 60s. That's hilarious. <laughs> but so, the right, the tallest building in America was the Sears Tower in Chicago. Yeah. Um, and Chicago had a lot of the early skyscrapers and that was the city where you went to like make your name as an architect. Um, I think now probably that switched to New York um, or like Dubai if you want to get a lot of money with uh, out asking questions. But yeah, that's he, he was kind of uh, the leader of, I guess, that Chicago school in the... He was? Yeah, I guess it was like the interwar period is when he was building a lot of stuff and then also the the... Guggenheim was what in the 60s? Yeah, like in the year of his death. <laughs> it's yeah. literally like But no, he had his own school which is the Talesian school which was not teaching anyone architecture. I mean, maybe it was, I don't know. I don't know anyone. It just got disbanded actually. It like lasted up until now. But it, you you were correct. It was like a little bit of a sex cult. And people had to like f the students had to like feed him. Which I know is not pertinent to like architecture, but so is his style primarily modernism? That's the thing. People say that he's a lot of different things. They say that he's modernist, but they also say that he's like organic, organic and arts and craft. Like there's all these, you know, environmental, like th he's been called like many genres of architecture. And I don't, e I don't think that he really knew what he, what he was. We can talk about another famous Frank who probably picked up where where Frank Lloyd Wright left off, which is Frank Geary. Who still, also built a Guggenheim. Who also built a Guggenheim. He built a Guggenheim in Spain. Yeah, his is a different design. Uh, he's more, I think, in the realm of like expressionist, is what they would say, which for me, it's hard to tell the terms apart with like a lot of modern architecture. Expressionist uses a lot of sort of natural-looking curves that are often maybe inspired by natural forms. It's so like the Sydney Opera House is expressionist. Yes. And then Frank Geary's buildings include uh, 8 Spring Street is that wavy looking skyscraper uh, down in the financial district and the IAC building, which is not too far from where we are. Oh, yeah. Um, which also has like a very wavy kind of half white, uh, half glass like front. But there are these buildings that are primarily 
glass and metal, which is kind of the modern way to do a skyscraper, but that generally have these sort of undulating wavy forms. The Sydney Opera House is designed to look like uh, sails, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah, they all look like tents, kind of. That was built in the 70s. It was open, yeah, it was open in 73. It was built in the 60s, I guess, by designed by Jorn Utsan. But yeah, I feel that's kind of what expressionist is. You're just like expressing yourself, and it's basically <laughs> like non-traditional like shapes. Inspired by natural forms. Yeah, non-traditional shapes. Expressionist is like against the Industrial Revolution. So it's like people who went through like World War II, and they they wanted to like reject like machine that machine you know so they Mm -hmm. were like they're like soft and round and you know they don't want it to look like cogs and stuff like that yeah Bauhaus which I love that like so Bauhaus is basically what who does the okay who does the paintings of the squares Mondrian Mondrian. yeah Mondrian Mondrian and house that's what Bauhaus is blocky blocky although Bauhaus like the school (laughs) you Bauhaus, you blocking ass bitch. Yeah, you blocking ass <laughs> bitch. With getting your, all blocking. Getting all blocky. Yeah. yeah. The the school is... Yeah, it's funny because this, the Nazis did not like... They like disbanded the... They shut down the Bauhaus school. When But you would think that they would have liked it because it's like clean lines, like very, you know, We talked about structure. this, though. They really wanted the trappings of empire and yeah. the Romans. It's and just, so they I'm were like, very... Uh, know your brand, guys. Yeah. they were. You would think they'd be like, no curves, very, you know. Yeah, they were very three sort of colors. Neo- neoclassical. Yeah. But they, um, they wanted, they wanted, they're like, no, we want fancy pointy arches. So ba- the Bauhaus school, though, taught all different, it's like German design. They're like the Ikea of German, basically. Just think of like Ikea furniture, but with like a less fluffy name. Yeah, it is, it's neat to think about the, right, we talked about the expressionist movement and saw these curves and and lines and waves and everything was happening. That's really in the West, but this is during the Cold War, right? This is like during the the 60s through 80s and 90s or whatever is when expressionism is, expressionist architecture is real big. And the other dominant style is brutalist. Oh, you love brutalist. I do not like brutalism. Oh, you hate it. Uh, okay. Brutalism is, it's what it sounds like. It's really... It's uh, ugly AF. It's just giant concrete blocks and like... The building material is exactly what it is. No finishing, no rounding of corners, no natural styles. Everything looks like the concrete mold that it was poured into. So, yeah, when you see, I mean, when the when the West wanted to, it was like propaganda almost for the West, like just how ugly all the Soviet apartment blocks were because they had like, granted, they were designed for like the Russian winter, so they're not going to have giant windows anyway, but they had these tiny, tiny ass windows and just endless looking like dormitory, ugly, like not even painted in a lot of cases, just concrete buildings. So there's some uh, really quintessential Soviet architecture that in br- the brutalist style. Also, the uh, the, the Sao Paulo Museum in Brazil. Oh, no way. <laughs> yeah. That's got some red on it, at least. But uh, They're like, throw some red on this bitch. But there's a... It's like the the... I think the National University in Moscow, and I think it's called the wedding cake, um, because I guess the way it's designed is it looks like a very they're tall, like it is bleak, it is last cake, cake. the last cake you will eat before. But it's like prison. Quint- quintessential brutalist. Um, 
And yeah, if you ever drive through Eastern Europe and you see a lot of the the government buildings, stuff that was put up during the Soviet era, they're ugly as hell. Yeah, and then there's Art Deco. Shout out to the Empire State Building. Oh yeah, we didn't even really touch on Art Deco. It's New York City. It's, it's Gotham a, City. It's the 20s. It's the 20s. It's the We're 20s. looking sharp in suits. The buildings... They're also looking pretty sharp, too. It's pretty cool because nothing like Art Deco exists in, like, before Art Deco. It really is out of nowhere, it almost feels like, right? That particular style, like, you don't find it in European architecture prior to when Art Deco showed up. In, well, Paris. <laughs> little, little, little something called Paris. That's where it comes from. From where, like, the, was it the Belle Epoque or whatever? The Beaux Arts movement? I mean, just, like, all the Parisian stuff. Like, the U.S. was, like... Because they, they were, like, doing all the... They were copying, like, all the Greeks before, right? And mm. then they were, like... <laughs> Let's mm. copy the Parisians. <laughs> yeah, now. they were, like, but wait a second. Paris has some cool stuff. I wonder if part of that was... Uh, People were going to Paris, smoking weed. Yeah, just coming in the, back, in the making real plans. Late 1800s, early 1900s was, like... Before World War One was like kind of a boom period, and when the first skyscrapers started getting built in the very early 1900s, as well as when the subway was built, um, and then post World War One, a lot of the Americans had been in France, where a lot of the war was fought. So I guess they like picked up French customs, and also the yeah, they were like these buildings were streamlined and modern. <laughs> we talked before about the building materials and how they affected what you could build. Right, and this is where the innovation of using steel in your buildings finally shows up. You know, a, a couple thousand years into humans stacking rocks on top of each other and mortaring them together, is a skyscraper. Um, so, like, who's the who's the, the the dad of skyscrapers? The father. Uh, I don't know who invented the skyscraper. William Van Allen. Okay, he's like the father of the scraper. Is he from Chicago? Yep. Thought so. Yeah. Yeah, it it did start in Chicago, but New York has a bunch of great ones. Uh Manhattan in particular is we've talked about is the on other episodes, the geology actually matters. So the bedrock of Manhattan is really strong, which lets you build all these giant skyscrapers. Um But yeah, I would say Art Deco, the key thing is like Chevron. <laughs> yes. So Chevron. quintessential building would be the Chrysler building. Yeah, or the the, MP, the Empire State Building. Yeah, Chrysler Building has. The Chrysler its, Building its beautiful is like, little yeah, kind of. That's the one. That's the most gargoyles. beautiful one too. That's yeah. the, the gorgeous. Um, a really unique thing about the the technology of a skyscraper too, which makes them different from any other building that had been built before skyscrapers, is that the skyscrapers the walls don't support the building, and that's totally novel. Wait, so, what? Yeah. What? So, so you don't need the walls at all? If the wall of a skyscraper was taken away, the building would still stand. <gasps> Although, really? Like, yeah. Really? Yeah. Because skyscrapers are built with a steel oh, framework. The scaffolding. And so it's referred to, they call a it skeleton. a... Skeleton. Yes, it has a, a steel-like structure or skeleton. And the outer walls are called curtain walls. And so they're actually hung like a curtain. That's what they're called. They're called <laughs> curtain walls. It you... sounds like it... check out check out the curtain walls on that one. So in a skyscraper, you build the you've seen skyscrapers go up. You build the whole steel structure first, True. and then you hang the exterior walls. And in many cases, the exterior walls were loaded up panel by panel in like ten foot sections, and they would just kind of bolt them onto the side of the building. 
And that design has been around for a while. And then since really the 80s and then mastered in the the Burj uh, in Dubai is they now build like a like the skyscraper really is designed as like a cylinder. If you want to build a really super tall building, you put a, a super strong like cylindrical core up through the center and then build the rest of the building around that. So the Burj Khalifa. The Wiz Khalifa? Yeah, main designed in honor of Wiz Khalifa, the rapper. <laughs> the Burj Khalifa, I think finished in 2006, currently the tallest building in the world. And it's the tallest by a lot. It's like, like 30, 40% taller than the next closest building. What? Do you know that William Van Allen, he like wanted the Chrysler building to be the tallest building in the in the world. And it was. Mm. But there was like this other bank building that was like, yo, I'm going to beat you. And he was like, OK, fine. And then he like created this the like spike inside of it. And like the bank building finished their building. And then he was like the bank building was like, just as we thought our building is taller. And he was like, mm hmm. And then he like stuck the spike like out through the top and like yeah so giant giant sky there's a lot of debates about spires well because the spire counts (laughs) as your building height definitely men invented this uh -hmm, they're like what what, what, does the building have to be hard because i think there's actually like in new york right the tallest building in new york is the right one world trade center or the freedom tower yeah they wouldn't build it and not make it that's because of its spire though but it's still on there there sure the spire is on there but like nobody goes there it's not habitable it's just like i can build a tall ass spire who cares come on that's not the same as building a building yeah it's it's about the length it's yeah, because all about right, the length. One World Trade Center is 1776 feet tall. Yeah. Which is about a third of a mile. Um, but there are residential towers near like uh, Central Park and they have habitable floors that are actually higher than the highest floor you can get to in the World Trade Center. But don't tell them that. <gasps> I won't. Yeah. <laughs> They're listening right and now. One one more skyscraper factoid is the thing that limits the ultimate height of a skyscraper is not gravity or the weight of the building. The wind. Um, it's the wind. Yeah. The the main issue now is to keep wind from toppling your super tall building because at high altitudes the wind uh is much stronger than lower down close to the ground and it's more steady. So it'll apply a constant regular force to your building. And then you get vortices, which can even more like enhance the effect of of the wind so you can imagine if you're creating this giant like third or half of a mile tall like lever that's getting pushed it puts a huge amount of strain on it on the ground oh true i would hate to live like super tall in a building apparently it's terrible like windy yeah well our our friend lily lives in she's on the 44th floor and you can the wind is very loud in her apartment sometimes Imagine being on like the 90th floor. It's not the noise. It's just like, I don't want my house. What am I like in the Wizard of Oz? Like, yeah. no, no, thank you. No, yeah, thank you, ma'am. Apparently the actual quality of those buildings and how the interior is done is, yeah, has issues. So One World Trade Center had a, a terrible like rodent infestation, right? So like Condé Nast when they, was one of the original tenants and Anna Wintour refused to move in. Yeah. For like, a, I guess, several months until they dealt with the rats. I mean, she could have just brought all her Dalmatians and they would have taken care of the rodent problem. Yes. So whatever. Oh, yeah. We should probably mention Zaha Hadid. What did she design? <laughs> she made a lot of like deconstructivist She was buildings. Lebanese, right? Yeah. Uh, she, she did a lot of deconstructivist buildings. 
but this What's the deconstructivist building deconstructivist is actually it's when you were talking Frank Gehry, he's kind of more deconstructivist than oh. yeah. It's it's basically like what is a building? <laughs> is it a like what? Because like it's it is that though. It's like we, anything is a building. Like if you say it is, like that sort of mindset. And so they're like, let's put the outside of the building do you on have the one inside. Of her in that book, I yes, see. I do. I, I feel like I'm gonna look at it and I'll be like, wait, that's just a building. Yeah, I'll look up the deconstructivist, okay. the deconstructivist movement. But that, but it's like the most uh, technological, like oh, wow. futury looking buildings. Because there's a yeah, high tech. Yeah, you've got a section on domes in there. Domes. Shout out Buckminster Fuller and Disney World. Like um, these yeah. are these are de- the deconstructive. So it's it's just like shapey buildings and like. Yeah, they, they it's like a building if you got all the pieces and then you decided how to assemble it. That's a deconstructivist. The Jewish Museum in Berlin. I don't know. Yeah, it's, all right, it's shapey buildings. Yeah, shapey, shapey buildings. The manipulation of structure surfaces and shape. But Zaha just uh, had so many plans for buildings, but a lot of people would not build them because they were like, this is wild. They were like, you're out your damn mind, girl. And she like she was like, no, I will prevail. And now she's known as like one of the top... So if you're going to build a building, we'll wrap up with, if you're going to build a building, what would it look like? Oh, yeah. Oh, I have some great. Wait. Do you, you have some sketches I have to show some me? crazy buildings that you should look up. I, okay. Okay. So these are like the craziest buildings. And then we'll, t- we'll say what our buildings would be. Okay. So there's like this upside down. It's, it's like a upside down looking building. What's there's, it called? Wait, you can't just say there's an upside down looking. How do they find it? How do you see it? Oh, it th- okay. This one actually doesn't have like a cap. I think this is just a graphic that's trolling me because I don't think that's not a real building. <laughs> yeah, you just you were about to tell people about a picture. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, but <laughs> but let me tell you the the. <laughs> the misleading image on this article pretty yeah. wild it's uh, an upside okay down so what church. about this building it looks like a bacteria it's called the wren building so in china. china has some very cool modern skyscrapers going on right now actually yeah they're they're probably at the cutting edge yeah and then there's the the zaid national museum in the united arab emirates and it looks like it looks like the lair of like a futuristic villain and there's a basket building in Ohio that looks like a basket. It looks like a giant picnic basket. Yeah, that's yes. such a, a dumb building. There's the egg building. The gherkin? <laughs> uh, babe, in, in India. Oh, that's in it's India. A, yeah. Okay, so if you were going to build a building, what would your building be? Um, what materials would you use? Oh, I would do some some like super modern skyscraper. With a bunch of curving glass, like the barrel build, the barrel building. That barrel building is a cool building. I f- I like that thing. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. You know what else I would do with it? We haven't covered it all, but that's the beauty of this. It's for entertainment too. So hopefully you're thoroughly entertained. You have a cool sports building. You put a rock wall on one side of it. Oh yeah, just for people to challenge themselves. 
And on the other side is a slide. There's a lot of buildings at PS1. They had a slide from, and then like they they had to, they always shut it down. Like the week they open it and they're like, this was a grave mistake. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, they're like mistakes were made. We shan't talk of this. We went to uh, Governor's Island has those big slides. They do, but that's that's not quite a building. It's yeah, it's always building, buildings. Building you always regret it. This has been super fun. I know this has been a dream of yours. Yes, to do an episode. On architecture. On architecture. And I learned a lot. thank you for researching with me. Shout out to our podcast editor, Danny Feltz. He's going to have a lot of work to do. (laughs) We we give him lots of work to do. And And he's the best. Yeah. Yeah. And shout outs to you for staying this long. If if you enjoyed yourself, which I hope you do, unless you're some kind of weird like sadist and you enjoy punishing yourself, uh, please give us a five-star review because it really does help.